So uh, we hear that again each morning when we chant all our ancient twisted karma. I now fully avow all of that karma, all that, all those cloudy, repetitive patterns. I now fully avow. I I really am gonna hold those close. I'm gonna keep those out in the open so that I can keep looking at them so that I can keep studying them. Uh, this is what I vow. Um, and we do, we do that, we do that every morning. So this idea of karma is pretty important to our practice, right, right here and now. It's been pretty important in, in Buddhism uh, from, from the very beginning. Karma, karma the, the sort of idea or the theory of karma was actually around before the Buddha. Buddha, Buddha incorporated that into his um, into his teaching because it was such a strong cultural um, uh, phenomena. What can I what can I call it? A cultural theory um, that, that Buddha rolled into his own his own teaching. Uh, that being said, you know in Zen we don't talk so much about karma. We sort of say that every moment, even a brief moment, that we might be able to catch ourselves with this ancient pattern that we all have, that it's clouding things. Every time we can sort of drop that just for a moment and experience the vast freedom, uh, the, the, the myriad other choices we have, uh, if even for a moment, that's a glimpse of, of awakening, or that's enlightenment, or that's nirvana. That allows us to move forward in a skillful way to um, save all beings, another vow that we say every day. Um, so, so that's how Zen looks at these kind of uh, these karmic habit energies that we have carried around from beginningless time. Uh, I, I, other more traditional forms of Buddha, or, or not traditional, other schools of Buddhism, you know, Tibetan and, and Theravadan schools, uh, talk about it a little differently. It's um, these karmic patterns. Uh, I mean, we know, we know that they're difficult to work with. They're difficult to see. We don't see some of our patterns so clearly. Sometimes people have to tell us, you gotta look at that. So, cause they're, they're not, so they're hard to work with. And in, uh, in uh, traditional Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, Theravadan Buddhism, these are practices that you look at your karma for lifetime after lifetime. And uh, with each successive lifetime, there's a little more clarity. Uh, you see things a little, you see a little more, a little 
but we're, we're seeing a little tube of the vastness. Um, uh, and with each lifetime, we, we see a little bit more of that clarity. So, so, so Buddhism has talked a lot about, about um, our ancient twisted karma. Is the sound coming through okay? We see once again Corrine and Edie, our, our, our friends online. The West here, we've rolled all of that teaching of karma, I think, into our, um, into psychology. West, of course, is mainly from Europe, uh, was the source of great thinkers about the mind and, um, and personal psychology is kind of, you know, not so different from, from karma. And, um, uh, and sometimes we want to look at this personal psychology, these habit patterns, um, especially when they get us into trouble. And we look at it um, with psychotherapy. Um, I'm, I'm a, I, I've, I've looked at my karmic patterns with this practice in the last 30 years. It's been very helpful opening and reopening and reopening uh, some of those tied twisted karmic knots. Uh, so our practice is, um, is a great method for looking at those karmic patterns. Uh, but in Western, in the West, we also, we also look at psychotherapy and i'm a, i'm a big fan as well of psychotherapy i've i've had quite a string of therapists in my life over the last 50 years since i was 20 was the first time i sought out an individual psychotherapist and it's been very helpful and my last therapist and i decided to take a break um, just this year. So it's just been a few months since I haven't been going every week to, to take a look at this, at my karmic knots or, or uh, my psychological grasping at this or that. So I'm a big fan. Uh, Catherine, Catherine said that our practice of just sitting is a great method for looking at this habit energy. And then she said, but uh, therapy is a lot quicker. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so maybe our sitting, maybe it does take lifetime after lifetime, but uh, if, you, if you've got a problem and you want to look at it squarely, there's nothing like, uh, like going over it once a week with a person who, who might say, well, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? There's nothing like having, having um, Dharma friends like this that we get to know in a very different way. 
than, than other friends or family that you might have. And, uh, and uh, we sometimes talk about giving permission to our Dharma friends to, um, to give us little nudges in one way and another, to say things, to reveal things to us that we might that we might not see so clearly. So that's, um, so our practice has many ways that helps us really untie these ancient twisted karmic knots. But whether we think of it as sort of psychological knots or karmic knots, as we've just chanted, these karmic knots cloud the expansive view of things as they are. And this is what Dogen, of course, means when he's, when he's written to study Buddhism, this very practice to study Buddhism is none other than studying the self. And studying that self is to forget the self or or kind of loosen those karmic knots, or what did Uchiyama say? Open the hand of, of those thoughts, open the grip of those karmic um, obstacles. Um, and um, to forget the self is to be awakened by the whole universe, the expanse, vast universe. Um, so this karma, working with, oh, oh, and this also implies, I think, uh, studying the self and opening and forgetting the self, loosening those karmic knots and being awakened by, by 10,000 things, I think implies that that's kind of it, that there's nothing else to this practice, but looking at the only thing we are, we feel that we're intimate with. I, this is the only place to look um, that, um, that uh, you, don't, you don't find great enlightenment in this book or, or this book. This is one of my all-time favorites. We don't find it there. Dogen says, Dogen says, uh, the only place is, is this posture and looking at, at those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions, this life that just emerges for us and, and studying it, welcoming it, inviting it, not squishing down, oh, I'm not going to think bad or I need to get rid of Letting it go and letting it emerge and and um, studying it in, in this way of of um, permission to look clearly, not to uh, not to shy away from those. It's kind of painful, sometimes painful uh, old habits. Oh, I can't change that. I'll take a look at that again. I'll try going there. 
silent, still, and awake. Let me do that, and then, then I'll take a look at it. Dr. Dogen is telling us that that's sort of the only, the only way. I think, I think looking at um, studying our karma is part of the, what the 23rd ancestor that we chanted. Does anybody remember number 23? Let's start number one, number two. Let's just go through them. Uh, the 23rd ancestor, I'll even, uh, I'll even, uh, uh, the um, Sanskrit, uh, his name was Haklenayasha, uh, otherwise known as Kakarokuna, one of my favorite uh, ancestors to chant. Thank you very much, Tenzo. I still have that chia pudding on my tongue. Kakarakuna Gayosho. Haklene Yaksha. Yaksha means famous. Kalena means flock. And ha means cranes. Famous for the flock of cranes. Uh, Great story. You, you know that these uh, the ancestors uh, in, in the transmission, and there's many transmission of light books, but they all sort of follow the same pattern. There's first the uh, Indian ancestors, and then the Chinese, and the Japanese. The um, for some reason, the Indian ancestors all have a little bit of magic. There's a little bit of magic. I, I think because we don't know so much about them. Uh, so they so stories have been passed down and and uh, ornamented. Uh, and this one was ornamented with cranes. Uh, but uh, he he apparently was a golden boy, you know, just just the brightest kid. His mother had visions of him sitting on um, on Mount Sumeru, you know, the home of Buddhas uh, when she was pregnant. And he was just, just a golden boy and he went into the monastery and was a great monk. And um, he started working with Manura Daiosho, Manurita Daiosho, his teacher, who transmitted to him, uh, gave him transmission. <coughs> and, um, uh, and I guess after the transmission ceremony, everybody was shaking hands. And uh, Kakarakuna says, oh, by the way, Manura-san, by the way, Manura-roshi, what about all these cranes? What about these flock of cranes that have followed me around all of my life? What do you think those mean? And uh, Manura Daiosho said, well, um, in a few lifetimes ago, you were even uh, abbot of a monastery then. 
and uh, you got invited by the Nagas, the great dragon kings of knowledge, for a special feast so that we could share some of this knowledge with you. And uh, you told your congregation, your monks, come to the Nagas, it's gonna be a great feast. But I'll tell you what they said, because I, I don't think you would understand. And uh, the monks said, well, gee, you know, you've been telling us all this time that, uh, that if you can, if you can not discriminate between food, if you don't discriminate between things, everything is one. So how come you're saying these people are too holy for us and this food is too good for us lowly monks to eat? And uh, Takarakuna said, yeah, you got me. Uh, you're absolutely right. There's uh, nothing holy. Uh, nothing is nothing like those buckets. No bucket is filler more full than the other bucket. So let's all go. And uh, so they all went to the Naga feast. They all heard the Naga lectures. And uh, the monks left with a full stomach. But they had to, they said to Takarakuna, you know, you're right. It was way over my head didn't understand any of that. And because they didn't really couldn't understand in former lifetime, in the next lifetime, they were all turned into cranes. You know, that's a typical Buddhist thing, like, like the like Baijang and the fox. If you don't get it, you, you have to sort of wait around a little while, <laughs> maybe as a fox, maybe as cranes, uh, uh, maybe those crickets that we're always ordaining uh, every year. You have to wait around a little while till you get it. And so that's, uh, uh, what is it called? That's sort of a typical Buddhist trope. So because uh, Kakara, because in his former lifetime, Kakarakuna got it, he sort of stayed the golden boy of Buddhism. And, uh, but, you know, because he invited his, his, um, his flock, so to speak, um, uh, to the to the party, they still liked him, and uh, they kept following him lifetime after lifetime as cranes, um, hoping to hear a turning word. And so, so this was explained to uh, Kakarakuna by uh, Manura Daiosho Manorita, and. Um, You know, this reminds me of, uh, of the year uh, 2012. Uh, San Francisco Zen Center was uh, had a year of celebrating their 50th anniversary. And uh, one of the ways they celebrated was inviting all of the brown robes in the Suzuki tradition to a feast at Green's restaurant. And, uh, and so I went. I went because of the food. 
It was a great feast. And, you know, it was, what, what do they call it when there's no, uh, there's no assigned seats? You just sort of sit down when the bell rings. So there were lots of tables in the restaurant, and we all just sort of sat down at the seat closest to us. And I happened to be at the long table with, um, with Baker Roshi, was invited to this event. This was one of the first events that he came back to Zen Center. Baker Roshi was there, and sitting next to him was, was Tension Reb Anderson. So there I was with with the Nagas of our family. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, Catherine had just died a few months before. Catherine died in the summer of 2012, and this was in the fall. And um, uh, so both of them uh, came up to me to, to offer condolences and to share, to, to tell me their memories of the young, the young uh, Karen Sullivan, Sullivan. I mean, I didn't know. I'd, I'd never met Baker Roshi, and I, I, uh, I knew I knew Rev had always been kind, but I felt very honored to be talking to these nagas, and uh, and still I felt like a clumsy old crow in the midst of, of you know, or, or a, a, a crane, a crane out of place. Uh, so that's my story of being a crane amongst amongst the Nagas. Um, but, you know, I, I, I kind of think that, uh, that the, the cranes are a metaphor for our unresolved karma. Maybe these weren't, they, maybe these weren't the slow monks at all, but were actually Kakarakuna's own unresolved karma that just that, that, that just kept reminding him, this is where you have to work. Take a take a look at this crane. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. There's five hundred of them. Uh, just uh, just take a look at them. Just take a look at them. Just you know, keep keep working. A actually, um, actually, uh, uh, Kazan himself says um, uh, that this, this, this is, that, that even, even though you have clarified the meaning of your own original nature, I mean, this is, this is a, even though the work, generally the work has been done uh, in our practice, um, and you're already a patriarch, uh, still there is an unexcelled, great treasure, great Dharma treasure, which you must hear, accept, and teach well into the future. So, so, um, so Kazan is saying that, that this, this practice of, of looking at our karma is lifelong, and maybe the early Buddhists had it right. Maybe it is many lifetimes. Here, Kazan is saying, you know, we're all full like those buckets out there. We're already full. We know it all. We've got it all. We're all Buddhas. But still, that, that bucket, you know, keeps filling up with rain, and we keep filling up the next bucket. Our job as bodhisattvas is to keep filling up the next bucket, even though it's already full. 
keep offering them um, ways to relieve suffering. You know, both Baker, Roshi, and Reb Anderson uh, have publicly talked about those lying cranes, the karma in their life uh, that they continue to work on. I mean, it's, it's published in books. Uh, Catherine herself in this book talks about, uh, talks about uh, uh, what, she, what she keeps doing wrong and, and how that continues to be a source of, of inquiry and liberation is keep looking at, you know, all the times she keeps falling on her face. And, and she certainly didn't, didn't transmit to me because I was craneless. She, she certainly knew all the cranes in my life. Um, and so this is, this is our practice. Sitting here, sitting here this morning, thinking about, you know, I'm not going to talk about karma. I'm going to talk about cranes. Uh, the next thought was old resentments. Uh, um, the next thought was uh, failures. Uh, and uh, uh, my cranes were all over. As a matter of fact, I think I was sitting in a room full of cranes, all kind of crashing into the walls and in the windows. And, and, and of course, Dogen says that's exactly what we're doing it just right. Uh, every time we hear that, that thud of the crane against the walls, we say, oh man, let me, let me put my shoulders back. Let me straighten my spine. I, I can go there again. Let me, let me welcome you. Uh, let me nurture you, this, this crane that I hoping wouldn't fly across my view. Am I quiet enough for you to just sit down next to me so that I can really take a close look and find a way to keep you from being that kind of angry bird in my life? And, uh, and part, of, part of this harmonious, vast, empty sky May we be open to the sound of the waves, to the sound of the birds, to the sound of the streetcars, to the sound of our own hearts. And may this be the gate to the vastness where we live. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible.
surrender them. Thank you. 